We face decisions, tough decisions, almost every day in our life. And for us as children of God, we the thing that's important to us is that we're making decisions that please God, that are according to his will. In our world today, in our culture, we have available to us more information than there have, we have ever had before in the history of mankind. We can research, we can go and get all kinds of information. So we can find out what is out there, what's going on, what has happened in the past. But the one thing that we can't find out is what's going to happen in the future. And that's what uh, one of the things that puzzles us often the most, it becomes a source of the greatest uh, consternation, is because when we go to make a decision, we know that very often it's going to have an impact on our future, and we'd like to know what that is. And we can't do that, can we, based upon this all this information that's out there. Well, I want to tell you that there is a way. There is a way that we can be certain that the decisions that we make in our life are decisions that will please God and that will work out for our good. I want you to place yourself for a few moments this morning in David's sandals. David, as you know, was um, Israel's second king, uh, the young shepherd king, as we had come to know him. And uh, uh, David was uh, a person, a man, a young man, just like us, had his faults, had his difficulties. But just think for a moment here, if, uh, as, uh, if you were David, you know, you were told as a, as a teenager that you were going to be the next king of Israel. Uh, Samuel, you know, the old man of God, the prophet, had come and anointed you just for that purpose, that office. And the next thing you know, there you are in the royal palace, and you're playing and singing for the singing for the king. And then, like a whirlwind, one activity after another takes place in your life that brings you to national prominence. Uh, you uh, kill Goliath with a single stone from your sling. Uh, you're promoted in the army. You're made the captain over a thousand men. You married the king's daughter. You're best friends with the king's son. It seemed like that every event in your life was bringing you ever closer to the day when you would step up and claim the throne of the nation uh, as your own. Then things began to happen. Cracks began to appear in this perfectly constructed life that you enjoyed so much. Well, for one thing, you fell out of favor with the king, and he even tried to kill you. Your relationship with your wife just uh, totally fell apart. It came to an end. You could no longer fellowship with Jonathan, your best friend. Uh, You were demoted. You lost your position in the army. And the next thing you know, you're a fugitive. And you're running for your very life from an insane king who is determined to take your life. Yet, even as you run from your enemy, you continue to carry yourself well. You spare his life when the opportunity to kill him is virtually handed to you. You show compassion when dealing with others that you could have destroyed out of hand. And you even continue to seek God's direction in your life. 
believing that someday his promises for your life are going to be fulfilled. And then, one day, something changes. As it often does with us in our life, you know, that the uh, the pressures of life begin to uh, come down upon us so hard. We we began to uh, lose sight of, of where we were going and what we were doing and beginning to think that everything is lost. You, you know, you wake up as usual, but somehow today your world is different. And for the first time, it looks like God may have forgotten all about you. It looks like your enemies are going to prevail. Uh, you become discouraged, disillusioned. And you find yourself trapped in this pit of hopelessness. Well, while you're in this state of despair, you make a foolish decision. A decision that alters your core, the course of your life. It brings you troubles that you could have never imagined, and it leaves you broken spiritually. Well, the worst time, and you've heard this before, to make important decisions Crucial decisions is when you are in panic mode, when you're discouraged, when you're down in the dumps. Well, that in a nutshell basically is the life of David up to this point here where we're going to pick up. David was on the fast track to the kingdom, and then suddenly he's a fugitive on the run. I want you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 27, And we're going to look at uh, this chapter, read these verses here, as uh, uh, to uh, get us off to a start here on um, uh, this whole idea about making decisions and where things go wrong. Let's stand stand with me, if you will, as uh, we read from God's Word. Beginning in chapter 27 of 1 Samuel, verse 1. And David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines, and Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel. So I shall escape out of his hand. Then David arose and went over with the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. So David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. Then David said to Achish, If I have now found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there for. Why should I, your servant, dwell in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Now the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines, one full year and four months. And David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. For those nations were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as you go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. And whenever David attacked the land, he left another man, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the goats, the donkeys, the camels, the apparel, and returned and came to Achish. And then Achish would say, Where have you made a raid today? And David would say, Against the southern area of Judah, or against the southern area of the Jeremielites, 
or against the southern area of the Kenites. David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying, thus David did. And so was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. So Achish believed David, saying, he has made his people Israel utterly abhor him. Therefore, he will be my servant forever. Heavenly Father, as we consider uh, this story of David, the, his life and, and the decisions which he has made, Lord, may your Holy Spirit just uh, open our hearts to the wisdom which you have given, desire to give to us, that, Lord, we may learn to honor you all of our lives with the decisions that we make, and that, Father, when we fail, that we may quickly turn back to you, seeking your forgiveness, repenting of our sin, in order that you might be glorified in our lives. Father, hear our prayer. Bless us as we uh, take these moments now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, our uh, text here, this point in the story finds David hunted, he's hounded, he's haunted, he's defeated, discouraged, depressed. And while he's in that condition, he makes a decision, a foolish decision that will produce some very serious consequences in his life. So today I want to preach on the thought here, when smart people make foolish decisions. And I'd like to take David's life uh, and point out, you know, where we go wrong in the decisions that we make and what we can expect when we make those decisions and how we can pick up the pieces and, and move on with God. And I want to make three observations here this morning. Uh, as we look into these verses today and think about when smart people make foolish decisions. First, there uh, in verse uh, 1 of chapter 27, looking at the reasons for making foolish decisions. And David said in his heart, David said in his heart, <laughs> well, it seems David decided that God's plan for his life had failed. And how does that happen? Well, uh, Leith Anderson, a well-known Baptist pastor, tells of a memorable childhood experience. He said, growing up outside New York City, I was always an avid fan of the Brooklyn Dodgers. The arch enemy was the New York Yankees, whom I had heard only on radio until I was invited by my father to skip school and go to a Yankees-Dodgers World Series game. Wow, what a thrill this was. I knew those Dodgers were going to shellac those Yankees. Unfortunately, the Dodgers never even got on base. So my thrill was shattered. Well, later as an adult, I was uh, in a conversation with one of these fellows. You know, he's like a a walking sports almanac. Uh, And I mentioned to him that uh, I I went to my first major league game. You know, it was that World Series game. And I said, boy, it was what a disappointment. I was a Dodger fan, and the Dodgers never even got on base. And he looked at me, and he said, You were there? You were at that game when Don Larson pitched the only perfect game in all of World Series history? Uh, Yeah, but but we lost. (laughs) I tell you, he said, I was so caught up in my team's defeat that I missed out on the fact that I was witness to a far greater page of history. You know, and, and that's so like us. Whenever we become so caught up in circumstances, when we become so 
um, uh, our head becomes so filled with so much other information and so forth or uh, by desires that we have for a particular outcome that we leave God out of the picture. And so, uh, and, and so therefore we miss him, what he's doing, how he is at work. And so the first thing that, uh, reason I think we need to notice here that, uh, we make a, a, a wrong decision is that by, we trust the wrong confidant. We trust the wrong confidant. Well, in other words, we, verse one tells us that David said in his heart, that's it right there, isn't it? David is pictured here as having a conversation with himself. And you know what kind of condition, what kind of shape David was in at this point, you know, in his in his life with circumstances going on around him. He decides that somehow or other God must have forgotten about him and he decided that God's plan for his life had failed. And so he decides to give up on God's plan. And instead of turning to God in prayer, as he had so often done before, David turns to himself for counsel. Now, the advice that he gets from himself is anything but wise. Uh, David took his own life in his own hands and began to live for himself as he wanted to live, as he thought his life should be, and the course that he thought thought that it should take. You know, as I think about this stage of uh, life uh, David was in here. You know, I see in him a portrait of many believers that I have met over the years. David... His life here pictures people who have been saved by the grace of God and who began their walk with God very well. But somewhere along the way, things didn't go as they had envisioned, They became, uh, and they became defeated, disillusioned, discouraged. And in their this weakened spiritual condition, they made a terrible decision that had consequences, terrible consequences for their lives. And instead of staying close to the Lord and following his will for their lives, they chose to walk away from God and to live lives of carnality, compromise. They made a tragic decision and paid a high price. But that's not all. Not only was David having this conversation with his own heart, but he started believing all the wrong counsel. All right, when he communed with his heart, he began, he immediately forgot all the great promises which the Lord had made to him. And, uh, God had, you know, had promised David that he would be king there in 1 Samuel 16. Well, that promise had been confirmed by Jonathan, uh, there in 1 Samuel, uh, 23. Also by Abigail, his wife, in 1 Samuel 25. And even by Saul in 1 Samuel 24. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, in spite of all these great promises, they're forgotten when David begins to listen to his own heart. But he was not only listening to the counsel of his heart, he was also listening to those closest around him, his commanders. You know, twice David was secretly within arm's length of Saul, and he had the opportunity to kill this king who had turned from God, and each time his commanders urged David to take Saul's life and the throne of Israel would be his. But instead, David refused. They could not understand that when they knew that the promise was that David would be king. Well, God had given him an opportunity. Why didn't you take it? Well, David's reasoning was 
hard to um, hard to refuse. He said he refused to take the life of Israel's first king, whom God had anointed. He believed that God would take care of Saul in his time. But the waiting and the frustration and the pressure from his commanders wore on David until he finally gave up on the Lord. David even thinks that he knows what will happen out there in the future. You know, He said, uh, he said now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. Well, he should have known that God is a sovereign God. That God is a God who is in total control of everything past, everything present, and everything future. David knew from his own personal experience that God had never gone back on a promise. That what God said would come to pass, indeed would come to pass. But David forgot all that because of the pressure of circumstances around him, because of the pressure from those that were closest to him. They just, they just didn't see things the way God saw them either. They were looking at circumstances. And so the result was that, uh, when we, we do this, we reach the wrong conclusions. Okay. As we see there in first, in, uh, verse one, uh, that, um, there is no, David says, there is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines and Saul will despair of me to seek me anymore. In any part of Israel, and so I shall escape out of his hand. Well, folks, uh, that may have looked like a good decision, a good way to avoid uh, the threats from uh, Saul, and uh, at the same time not to have to take Saul's life. But because he listened to his heart and to others and to the circumstances, he chose to abandon the path of life that God had placed him on years before. He decided that he'd be better off running to the Philistines where he thought he would be safe from King Saul. Can you imagine here this future king of Israel running to the arch enemies of God to beg for help? That's the kind of trouble David's heart got him into. You see, when we consult the heart, we get in touch with our human nature. Uh, Our old human nature has fallen. It always looks at things from an earthly level. And when people say, well, I I feel it in my heart, well, they're usually headed for trouble. And that's why the Bible cautions us against trusting the heart. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So when you walk, when you talk to yourself, be sure to talk to yourself about the things of God. Paul admonishes us, he exhorts us in Philippians to to think on the things that are good and noble and right and true. When someone says to you, just listen to what your heart is telling you, well, they've given you advice that can lead to spiritual wreck and ruin, just as it did with David, if you are foolish enough to follow it. And I think many of you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. Your heart will trick you, it will deceive you, it will lie to you, it will lead you down the wrong path, it will take you where you don't want to go, it will keep you there longer than you want to stay. If you listen to your heart, you're going to find yourself where David found himself, out of God's will, out of God's place for his life, and out of fellowship with him. So, 
If you listen to your heart, you're going to find yourself living in a, a life of spiritual compromise, and you're going to find yourself a backslider and on the outs with God. David made wrong decisions because he listened to his heart and it led him astray. Be very careful, my friends, because some are heading in that direction today. So, we understand here some of the reasons for these wrong decisions. There's always consequences. What are the results of foolish decisions as we see here in this text? Well, that we, for one, we find that uh, people's lives are affected. We look at verses 2 and 3 of this text. It says, Then David arose and went over with the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. So David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives. So you see, because of this foolish decision David made, everyone whose life touched David's life was affected as well. All 600 of his men and their families, his own wives and children, everyone around David was brought down by this decision. You see, all of those people were brought into a place of compromise and temptation because one man listened to his heart instead of listening to the Lord. Paul writes in Romans chapter 14, verse 7, he says, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. Basically, folks, that simply means that everything we do in our lives touches those around us. When a husband steps out of uh, God's, uh, a husband or a wife uh, steps out of God's will, it affects their marriage. When one or both parents refuse to live by God's standards, it has an impact upon the children. People at school, at work, and at church, they're all touched by the way we live our lives. We never know who is watching or who may be hindered when we give in to the advice of the heart and walk away from God. We must remember there's a price to pay for touching others in a neg- such a negative manner. Jesus uh, warned his disciples of that and warns us today there in Luke 17. He says, It is impossible that no offenses should come. But woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. That's the seriousness, folks, of the impact that we have on the lives of others around us. But not only... Do we have an impact on the lives of others? The whole pattern of our life is changed, is affected. The pattern of our life, we see, if you look at the the rest of this passage here, verses 5 through 12, we see not only did David's decision affect the people around him, but the very way in which David lived his life. In other words, his decision to walk away from the Lord changed him completely. Look at some of the things the Bible reveals about this very tragic time in David's life. In verse 4, David lived with a sense of false security. He thought he was safe moving down there to uh, uh, to uh, stay with Achish and, and then into Ziklag. And verse 5, David sought help and ran with the wrong crowd there with all of these Philistine soldiers down there. He literally aligned himself with the enemy. In verses 8 through 12, David did things that he never would have done before. He murdered, he lied, 
and he submitted himself to the enemy of God. The whole fabric of David's life was altered by this single decision that he had made. In verse 7, David stayed there 16 months. 16 months. I'm sure that David found himself there longer than what he had intended to be. You know, it's also, I think, important for us to notice here that during this period of David's lives, we have no record of any psalms that were written by him. It's, It's as though, you know, this sweet singer of Israel had lost his voice. When a believer makes a fa- that fatal decision to walk away from the Lord and from the place of blessing, their life is going to be affected in a negative way. Just like the prodigal who demanded his inheritance and walked away from his family, his father into a far country because he want to, wanted to enjoy what he thought was success in life. But the backslider is never out of the view of the Lord God nor is he too far away to avoid chastisement, you know. The one that walks away is going to find out that soon they're going to be doing things they never would have done before and that they're doing them with a crowd they would have never run with before. They're going to find that their entire lifestyle has been changed. They'll look around and they'll find that months, even years have passed and uh, there they are just languishing, and it's all gone. Life is not what they expected it to be. They will also, they're going to find that their song has left, their vision, their goal is no more. Their joy has dried up. Folks, you cannot walk away from God and go off into sin and not be affected. If walking away from the Lord does not alter your life, then I will tell you something. I would venture to say that you were not his to begin with. Well, thirdly, then there's another impact, another result, and that is uh, the loss of peace. The personal peace is absent then from your life. Someone said, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. We're seeing the truth of this fleshed out in David's life. You know, in this passage, David has fallen just about as far as a man can fall. He's out of God's will. He's off God's path and actively working with the enemy against the people of God. But thankfully, David was not having a good time. You see, his sin affected the people in his life. It affected the pattern of his life, but it also affected the peace in his life. In the first five verses of chapter 29, David has lost his identity. He unites himself with the Philistines to go and do battle with his own people, Israel. But guess what? Even the Philistines don't want him around. He's become an offense to them as well. He is literally a man without a country at this point. You see, you don't ever really belong when you're out of God's will. When you don't belong to him, you really don't belong anywhere, folks. You have no place to go. In verses 6 through 8 of that 29th chapter, David reveals the depths to which he has fallen. Here we have this future king of Israel groveling at a pagan king's feet and who declares him to be the king's servant. 
Oh, my Lord. He even says that the enemies of King Achish are David's enemies. You see, we do things that we would never have thought of doing before. And sometimes I think the impact of our words we have never given thought to. The, our actions. Oh, folks. In verses 9 through 11, Achish, this king of Gath, this Philistine king, declared David to be a faithful servant. And we get over to chapter 30. We see David finally reaps the harvest of the, this wickedness that he has sown. Because David loses far, far more than he could ever have imagined. The Amalekites, they retaliate against David and his men for all the, 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 the pillaging, the, the, uh, murder and so forth which David had, uh, had reaped upon them. And the families, so they, Go to the village, the town of Ziklag, where David and his families were staying, and they take captive all of the families of David's men and David's wives, and they burn the village to the ground. Everyone is taken captive there. But yet, isn't it interesting that these pagans showed more grace and mercy than David? The, the, the men of God, then this man of God... Had, showed no mercy to these others. He killed men and women and children. Well, David finally reaches the bottom. His men turn on him. We see in verse 6 of chapter 30, they threaten to kill him. They rightly realize that all these tragedies are the result of David's foolish decision. You know, sin has taken uh, uh, just everything from him. What a horribly frightening picture of power and potential of sin in our own lives. You and I may walk away from the Lord and go our own way, but we're not going to do it without paying a very high price. What's it going to cost you, my friend? Hmm? Is the sin that you're about to walk away from God to commit worth the price you're going to pay? Is it worth your spouse or your children? Is it worth your good name? Is it worth your power with God? Is it worth your health, your life? Don't think for one second that we can walk away from the Lord without consequences. There will be a price to pay, and God will have no trouble collecting that price from our lives. This, folks, is the clear lesson that we find here in Scripture. And it's the, the judgment that we find in Numbers chapter 32. You read that. Before you make a foolish decision and walk away from the Lord, you better think about the price that you are going to have to pay for doing so. So, we've looked at the reasons that we make foolish decisions and what can happen, the consequences or the results of those decisions, what they can be. I want to turn our attention now to how we can recover. Let's look at the recovery from foolish decisions here. If you'll turn over with me to uh, chapter 30, uh, just move over a couple of pages, and look at verses 6 through 8 here. Here it says, Then David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. 
But David, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he, meaning God, answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Folks, this is a great passage. A tremendous passage because we get to witness David's recovery from his sin here. And first we want to notice here the key to this recovery there in, in verse 6, the key is repentance. If you'll notice what uh, it says here, that David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. You see, when David finally hit bottom here, when he's lost all that a man can lose, at long last, David looks to heaven once again. Maybe he realized as he looked at the broken and shattered lives all around him, as he listened to the uh, the, the, the complaints of his men and their, that everything that had happened was a result of one foolish conversation with his own heart and followed by one foolish decision on his part. Folks, most of what we have learned from David here and so far in this passage has been a lesson in what a person should not do. But in this last section, In this last passage, David clearly shows us what we are supposed to do when we have allowed ourselves to walk away from the Lord. And the first step in getting things right is repentance. We need to get before the Lord and deal honestly with our sin. Proverbs 28 verse 13 says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Well, when sin is confessed and handled God's way, he will forgive that sin and restore the fallen believer. Now, that's a blessing, folks. That's a blessing because there's not a saint, there's not a believer in this world who does not fall into sin from time to time. If you've wandered away from from God, far away from him, you need to know that you can come home today and find Complete forgiveness and restoration. Did you notice the Lord's response here to David's repentance? I mean, you know, look at this. David has been out of God's will for 16 months. And then he falls down before the Lord and he deals with his sin. Well, does God say, well, David, I'm sorry, but you crossed the line this time, buddy. I've found someone new to be the king. Or does he say, well... I'm going to give you a three-month probation. If you do all right, then we'll talk about restoration, right? Or does God say, well, I'll forgive you, but things can never be the same between us again? Hmm. No, God didn't say any of those things. Not the first. God gave no hint whatsoever that anything that David had done during this period was going to be remembered against him. When David calls out from a right spirit, the Lord instantly forgives, instantly restores, and communicates with David. Folks, God's answer is swift, it's sure, and it's accurate. What a blessing because there's an earthly price to pay for the sins that we do commit. But when God forgives... 
He forgives immediately. He forgives completely, and he forgives eternally. Now, I want, I want you to know, I know there are some people in this room that need to experience that kind of grace today. Folks, David had turned his gaze back to heaven, again, in humble repentance. And that's what you must do today. And then when you do that, and you know, you experience the promise of God of forgiveness, when he says, when God says unto him, um, in uh, verse says that, verse 7, uh, well, when we... Uh, when, when he goes to the Lord the, with the, uh, the ephod and the God, and God gives him instructions, the indication that he has heard David and that he is now ready to put David back on the road and on the road to victory. David does what he should have done at the very beginning of this episode of his life. He calls on the Lord in prayer to seek his will and his help. David's back in the place where he can rely on the Lord once again. Now, I know some of you, maybe you're in the place where you have confessed your sin. You've repented. But you're still thinking to yourself, has God really forgiven me? You know, am I, am I, am I so weak right now that, that I, that God will trust me to do his, uh, his will? You know, David, could have had questions in his own heart and his own mind that, you know, well, his army was so weary, they were so weak, you know, how can we ever pursue these Philistines and recover what they have taken from us, what is so precious to us? But you see, that would be thinking in terms of your own strength and not in terms of God's strength. Because God, in answer to David's request, his prayer, said, you go. And you will have victory. You see, folks, that is a time when you need to trust everything that God says to you. You need to simply uh, believe that what God says is true. And that what he wants you to do is the right thing to do. And so the, the context of this recovery then is trust. <coughs> Trusting God to do What he said from the beginning, before you fell from him in the first place. God already told you what he was going to do. I'm going to, I have a plan for your life. I'm going to work out good things in your life. Things that will bring you peace. Things that will bring you happiness. I'm going to, I have a plan to do to make you prosper. That's God's promise to us, you see. And it doesn't matter what happens to us. It doesn't matter the circumstances. It doesn't matter how bad things start to look. Because God, the the scripture tells us, the promise we find in Romans 8 is that God works everything, folks. Notice the scripture says, God works all things for our good, okay, to uh, to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God is trustworthy. So, the outworking of that, the fact that we believe God now, the outworking of that is obedience. We see in verses 8 and 9 here that David responded immediately. David went. 
he and the 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those stayed who were left behind. David responded in obedience. You see, whenever we trust God, the outworking of that is obedience. That is the way in which we demonstrate to our brothers and sisters, that's the way we demonstrate to the rest of the world that we trust God. It's by our complete and total obedience to Him. Not only, David's not uh, uh, walking in his will here any longer. He's back in God's will. He's walking God's path once again. Folks, regardless of how smart we may be, regardless of how long we might have been saved, regardless of how high we may have climbed up the spiritual ladder, we're still capable of making foolish decisions. Some folks in this room today are in that process, that process of doing that very thing today. You've been listening to your heart, and your heart's been telling you lies. I suggest that you get back to God, and you hear some truth before it becomes too late. Maybe you, maybe you are, have never been in this place where you understand what it means to trust God. Maybe you've never become a child of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to understand this morning, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you have done. There is nothing so wicked, there is nothing so evil that we can do to keep God from loving us and reaching out to us in order to draw us to himself. And when we turn to God in repentance, when we say, Lord, I know that my life is, I've been living it the wrong way. I've been going in the wrong direction. And Lord, I want to, I want to follow you. I want to come to you, Lord. I want you to take control of my life. I want to understand the things that are true, that are good, and that are noble, Father, so that I may have joy in my life and the joy of knowing you and walking with you every day. Oh, Lord, will you make that happen? God is so faithful. He will do that for you, and he will do it for you right now. Right now. You can forget about all the past. God no longer cares about the past. What's important to God is what you do right now. We're going to sing in just a moment. But I want to invite you that if you need to make a decision right now regarding your relationship with Jesus Christ, if you need to decide right now, if you're one who has been outside of, of Christ and need to know him as your personal Savior, I invite you to come. Will you do that this morning? Come right now, confessing your sin, asking the Lord Jesus to be Lord of your life, and experience the joy of his salvation. Will you do that as we stand together, as we sing?